0: It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. And online at SBNationLive.com. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick.
1: Hey, sports fans. It's Coach Nick here. And as the nice sounding announcer did tell you, this is the B-Ball Breakdown, where we are here every Tuesday evening at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern Time. Uh, The season is almost over. We got nothing to talk about, right? Well, you know, there's another series left, and I think we're all relatively familiar with what's going to happen or what has happened in the past. Certainly we have Cavs, Warriors IV. In other words, Cavs, Warriors four. Uh, are we tired of this yet? I don't know. I feel like uh, it's worthy of another series. Let's see what happens. But this perhaps is the uh, the most unimposing version of the Cavaliers they've had. Sans Kyrie, I suppose, is the biggest absence that they have. So we'll have to wait and see what happens. And. To give you a sense of the preview, we are going to have a really great show tonight. So I brought on Mike Zavano, who writes for Fear of the sword.com and it has the Cabalytics podcast, and he is everything about the Cavaliers on the X's and O's end. A great conversation coming up there. Then we bring on Eric Apricot, who writes for B-Ball Breakdown and Golden State of Mind to give us his skinny on the Warriors' point of view. We're going to wrap up after that with Dave Dufour, my partner in crime, the that guy Dave, talk more about the series and anything else that's happening in the NBA so it's a great show coming up I dropped a great video today on game seven the most ridiculous bunch of threes missed 27 straight the Rockets missed in that game seven which really contributed to their loss uh, it was a very disappointing ending for a, a great season for the uh, Rockets who had been pretty poised to actually maybe beat the Warriors and probably had a really legit chance that they hadn't lost um, Chris Paul to injury but it happens it happens to every team. In fact, the Warriors had lost Steph for a while, and they also lost another starter in Andre Iguodala. And you would have argued that perhaps they would have won a lot quicker had they had Iguodala earlier. So an interesting way to kick that off. So check out the b Breakdown YouTube channel and watch that video. A lot of people already have and have commented very positively on it. Really good, inspired song choice. Uh, and as you'll have to just go and see, I won't ruin it for you if you go. Uh, we've been doing some fun songs the whole time. So... Great show coming up for you guys uh, in this hour. So don't go anywhere, don't flip, don't change channels. We'll be right back here with a lot of great guests and a lot of previews for the finals on the B Ball Breakdown.
0: It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick. And we're back,
1: sports fans. As always, uh, I am Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown. And we are going to do a little bit of a preview of the Cavaliers and the Warriors NBA Finals Part 4. And I want to do this in segments, so we're going to do uh, each team-by-team team analysis. And so I thought there was no better person to bring in than friend of the breakdown, Mike Zavano, to talk about the Cavalier side of things and what he thinks are keys to, well, I suppose them, you know, maybe defying all the odds and winning this series. So, uh, live from the road, driving, we have Mike Zavano with us. Mike, thanks for coming on the
2: show. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me.
1: Well, let's, let's get down to it because... Obviously, uh, I have to imagine Vegas is probably favoring the Warriors by a lot. Uh, I'm not so sure this is uh, the most well – uh, this, this, this team for the Cavs is probably not the most stocked team, I suppose. So what do you think – what's the main key in your mind that's going to help them uh, stay competitive and perhaps win the series?
2: I think from a uh, Cavaliers' perspective, um, obviously everything is going to start with LeBron James, but beyond him – Uh, I think that they really need to control two things, the first being the pace of the game. Uh, The Warriors, as you can see, against Houston, at basically every mistake that the opposing team makes, the Warriors are looking to capitalize the other way and do so very quickly. Uh, The Cavs have played quite slow in these playoffs, uh, the slowest pace of any team uh, that's you know advanced more than one round. And so they're going to need to continue to try to play late in the shot clock, try to eliminate Golden State from being out in transition. And that's been a problem at times for the Cavs this year with their transition defense, just being able to find a guy rather than find your guy and match up and ensure that they're not getting those easy looks like Kevin Durant got last year in the
1: finals. Uh, Absolutely. And it, it is kind of startling how quickly they can get back in transition and kill you with a three. Um, there. Are, there are, I imagine there are some methods they could probably use that are within the rules to try and limit that, right? Uh, I'm, I'm assuming, like, take the fouls at half court where they can, that kind of stuff?
2: Yeah, I think so. Uh, last year, they were definitely warped by Stephen Curry's gravity. When he was running out to three in transition, uh, Kevin Durant was getting those free lanes to the rim. I thought that the Cavs didn't do a good enough job of kind of getting back and making a wall in the paint, something we saw Boston do very successfully against the Sixers when Ben Simmons was getting out in transition. But, you know, the the Cavs have to limit their live ball turnovers and they have to limit their misses at the rim. And those are two areas that Houston just couldn't quite do enough of uh, to prevent Golden State from succeeding the other way.
1: Okay, fair enough. So we have pace, obviously, is a really big thing. Uh, limiting the turnovers. Uh, as far as the offense goes for the Cavs, I mean, do you just assume that we're going to see a lot of the same things we've been seeing all uh, all playoff long? As far as isolating on the weakest link, which is going to be Curry, I suppose on on LeBron. Um, are, are there other things that we're going to see that might you know give them a, a, a shot as well?
2: Yeah, I think you're right about LeBron trying to isolate against Curry. I've been wondering if the Warriors will try to show and recover with Curry as opposed to allowing that switch. Um, a lot of times the Cavs probably aren't using the biggest threats as their screeners. Whether Curry's on J.R. Smith or George Hill, they might be willing to help and recover as opposed to just outright switching. After that, the Warriors have done a great job, probably better than any other team, of taking away Kyle Korver since he joined the Cavaliers both in last year's finals and this year's matchups. And I think that that's really important to slowing down the Cavaliers if you're Golden State. Uh, they're comfortable switching basically anyone on the floor onto Korber, even if that means leaving a smaller guy on Tristan Thompson or Kevin Love in the post. And I think that, you know, being creative and doing things to get Kyle Korber free, whether it is with variants of those wide pin downs, maybe some stagger actions Uh, it's going to be important for the Cavs to try to get some of the other guys going.
1: Fair enough. Now, here's one thing that keeps bubbling up in my Twitter feed during these games, the, the Cavs games, is why isn't Kyle Korver playing more minutes? Especially when you watch a guy like J.R. Smith uh, just not be very effective uh, most of the time, and certainly defensively as well. So, what is the answer? Why? Why do they are they so afraid of uh, playing? I mean, I can't just believe it's because um, they didn't put O'Jue in the game <laughs> that one time. But what is the deal <laughs> with the, with their rotations, and why isn't he getting more? Why isn't he getting twenty six minutes a game? It seems
2: like uh Ty Lu has gone more to a defensive perspective in recent games than the offensive perspective that he's taken many times over the course of the years. Starting Jeff Green and Tristan Thompson together for instance in game seven was really a commitment to defense and you know Boston missed some open shots but the Cavs ended up posting a you know eighty six defensive rating in that game, a one hundred and two defensive rating in the series. And their offense wasn't great, but it was enough to overcome Boston's kind of anemic attack. So I think that they were worried about Korver, especially on Jalen Brown. They'll probably be worried about Korver in this series as well. It's possible that he can do a decent job against Clay Thompson because that's a guy that kind of plays more of a style that's less attacking, more coming off of screens. And that's something that Korver is used to. He can probably guard some of their players off the bench, whether it's Nick Young, or even if they go to a Quinn Cook or something like that. But I think that there was a, a large concern with whether it was Jason Tatum or Taylor Brown kind of attacking Corber off the dribble and Corber not really having the strength and physicality to stay in front of them.
1: Fair enough. I, I hear you. I mean, I suppose uh, they could try and trade twos for threes, but I suppose if you're going to have to guard Clay, then you're probably trading threes for threes, and you know that's an issue. Um, and, and it's Okay, and as far as just the actual attack by the Cavs, um, what do you think here? I mean, if they want to slow it down, is is their only way to really do that in the half court to simply isolate LeBron and get him in the low post as much as possible? Or are they gonna? Do we get to see some of the good, clever things that we've seen in the past that maybe have kind of disappeared more recently in their offense?
2: I think that one of the largest things about those differences is that when they've gone against non-switching defenses, like we saw in the Toronto series. Uh, they were really able to execute some of those off-ball actions. But Indiana and Boston both switched uh, almost everything, and I think that that really dampened their ability to kind of play off the ball, uh, especially in two-man actions off the high pick and roll. The more they play Tristan Thompson, I think the less off-ball movement there is just because of the requirement that you have to involve him in high pick and roll for anyone to really guard him. And so I think that that's sort of a trade-off that you have to make in this series there's been questions about whether or not Thompson will start, uh, whether Jeff Green will start to guard Kevin Durant. You know, what's Kevin Love's status with his concussion and, and whether he starts. And so, based on that front court rotation, if Love does go back to center and play alongside a guy in Jeff Green, you might see more off ball actions than you did against Boston with Tristan Thompson and Love as the pairing in the front court.
1: OK, I, I, I would hope so. But then again, we have to figure out exactly, you know, who has most control over the offense and what they run. Uh, and that's always an interesting issue, especially in the finals. So what do you think? Let's get down to brass tacks here. It's a seven game series. It's part four. These teams real, relatively know each other really well. I do think that the Cavs have enough turnover right now that it's a little bit different for them. But still, what do you think here? What, what do you think the prediction is going to be in how many games and what's going to happen?
2: Uh, My official prediction has been the Warriors in however many games they want. Um, (laughs) I think that it's certainly possible that they can win in four, but given their effort and energy uh, in these playoffs, especially against teams, That they haven't really taken seriously. I think that their effort wanes to a degree that it's cost them a game or two. I think we saw that as well in the 2016 finals in game four, or sorry, 2017 finals in game four. So I think that the Warriors could win this in four, but it's kind of likely that they will, you know, maybe take one game off, win it in five in front of their home fans.
1: Right. And that game four was almost a record breaking three point performance by the Cavs, right? Is that the one?
2: yeah exactly
1: right so I mean it, it took it took a pretty monumental effort as well so but we'll see I don't know, I kind of feel like with LeBron they they could they maybe they get another game on top of that and it goes six but either way uh you know i, I hopefully we get a, a competitive series uh, it certainly helps my business, <laughs> so I won't complain about that, but uh, yeah, it does feel like uh, coming out of the rocket series it'll be maybe an easier slog for them uh, in the finals, but we'll find out and we'll have to check in with you again during the uh, during the finals to see uh, how accurate we are.
2: All righty, sounds good. Thanks again for having me
1: on. You got it. And don't forget, sports fans, we're not going anywhere. We've got plenty of segments coming up. That was Mike Zavano, who's at M-Z-A-V-A-G-N-O-11 on Twitter. And we're going to have a lot of things coming up on the Warrior side of the things. We're going to see uh, directly what's happening on their side and what their view are. And then we're going to have Dave Dufour, friend of the Breakdown, and up here with even more analysis on the finals and everything in between. So don't go anywhere. No flipping. We'll be right back after these messages.
0: It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios, here's Coach Nick.
1: And we're back, sports fans. As always, I'm Coach Nick. Welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown. We are here every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific or, if you want, 8 p.m. Eastern time for an hour to talk about the NBA. We get into the X's and O's and what's happening uh, behind the scenes with all sorts of stuff. So we're doing some previews of what the finals hold in store for us starting on Thursday. Finally, we are here for the Warriors-Cavs Part 4. kind of hard to believe that they both managed to make it back. It looked really dicey, I think, for both teams uh, there in the, in the in, during the uh, playoffs. So we are back. I think most of these teams are relatively familiar with each other. We just had a great segment. Uh, with on the uh, Cavaliers with Mike Zivano, who is a writer for Fearless Sword and Cavalytics Podcast. And so now we have Eric Apricot, or excuse me, Eric Apricot, if you will, uh, who's a writer for B-Ball Breakdown, of all things, and Golden State of Mind. So, Eric, thanks for coming on the show to discuss the, the uh, Warriors' point of view. Thanks, Coach Nick. Well, let's get into it, shall we? Uh, obviously, they're favored. Um, obviously... There are things that would have to go seriously wrong for them, I suppose, not to repeat this year. But what do you think uh, is the most important key for them offensively to continue their uh, their onslaught toward another championship?
3: Well, in some ways, the team, the, pers- the personnel are the same as last year, but they seem to have gone through some kind of uh, personality evolution. And I think the Houston Rockets exposed some problems uh, in the-, the Warriors' schemes. They seem to be having a bit of a split personality between a KD post-driven offense and a more motion offense, and then also a more Steph Curry pick-and-roll type offense. And they never quite resolved that personality conflict during the Houston series. It just sort of, uh, it began by default with KD driving things because Steph was still recovering from his injury. Uh, And that seemed to work great in game one when KD hit all kinds of crazy shots. But then game two, three, four, it started to bog down the Warriors' offense, and so there was almost like this internal struggle within the team: uh, should we continue with KD post-type isolations, or should we do more motioned offense, or should we try to keep um, uh, go to more of a Steph Curry uh, pick-and-roll? And by the time game six and game seven came along, it seemed like uh, they tried starting off with uh, getting KD going in the post. And it would just be disastrous for the first half. And so in the second half, they kind of sort of threw up their hands and said, okay, Steph, you start driving it uh, with high pick and roll. And then that got much more flow going. (laughs) Right. I mean, I think what you're
1: trying to say a little bit is, is that we need a little bit more role player out of Kevin Durant and maybe a little bit more star from, from um, Steph Curry. And I think part of what that means is that, and I think we, we finally are starting to see that, is that, you know, if, if Kevin Durant continues to take, even for him, what we would consider, like, I guess, bad shots, like that seemed to be a bit of a wonky thing. Now, that said, does it matter? Uh, against a team like the Cavaliers versus the Rockets because, to me, it felt like the Rockets are infinitely better than what the Cavaliers can offer. So is there more leeway to get away with that kind of thing?
3: I would guess yes, but I th- I think there's always this question of how much exactly the Cavaliers have been sandbagging. It always seems like this playoffs, just when they're dead, they seem to bring out a little more effort, a little more organization. Mm-hmm. So the story of their defense the last two years is that it's been dreadful, but they seem to have picked it up a little bit in the playoffs. And I think Houston has kind of given a blueprint for how to approach the Warriors, uh, switch all screens if possible, uh, when KD is posting up, bring help late in the shot clock and sort of discombobulate him with the late help. Uh, and then they didn't ever quite figure out what to do with Steph Curry in the high pick and roll, but usually you switch and you sort of take your chances. So I, I don't know exactly if, if Cleveland can execute that scheme with discipline. And I believe the Cavaliers also have the same weakness that the Rockets did in their defense, which is transition D. So whenever the Warriors ran, they, they would get easy points. And so if they can get that done against the the, the Cavaliers, just like last year, that might be the, the, the thing that does them in.
1: Sure, and that's a great point you made about the defense because we keep seeing how bad it is and how bad it is, and then all of a sudden, when they seem to need it certain times, they discover it, Um, and so... It could very well be that way. Now, I do feel like, and this is sort of what I thought last year, was that coming out of the conference finals, they're going to feel like they're playing against, they were running in mud in the conference finals, and now they're going to be running on a track now with the kind of defense that Cleveland might have to offer. We did see that last game, the first game of the finals last year, where they lit them up for 35 points. The problem is Cleveland did score 30, and it kept it closed for a little while in game one. Um, but I have to imagine that um, that's what it's going to feel like to some degree, like the shackles are off, and we should see probably a, a lot more space for the, for the Warriors, would you imagine, to like get, get into the paint and get to those open kickouts?
3: Yeah, I'm not sure. Well, there's, there's kind of this standard um, conventional wisdom now that the first game against the Warriors is a shock. That You can't believe the pace. That's what the, the Cavaliers said last year. And you kind of saw it with the Rockets this year. The, the, the Warriors stole game one just with the sort of ferociousness of, of uh, their attack, uh, plus the KD miracle shots. Um, but I, I do wonder um, – there's also this effect with really strong teams like the Cavaliers on offense that as they hit shots – then they can get back and set their defense. So there's this sort of virtuous and vicious cycle. When they miss shots, then the Warriors will be able to run. When they hit shots, the Warriors won't be able to run. And so that last year in game four, that seemed to kind of snowball. The, the Cavs were hitting their shots. The Warriors couldn't run. Uh, the crowd went, went crazy. And then the Cavs just kept on getting hot and, and shooting. So it's... I, I'm, I'm guessing that they will not be able to pull that off four games, but I wouldn't be surprised if they stole a game or two just on that kind of virtuous cycle.
1: You know, I feel the same way. I feel like they're going to they, they could actually get to maybe like two wins against the uh, against the Warriors. Although let's not forget that game four required a an all time shooting uh, performance by them where I'm looking it up right now. is Wait, is this possible? They, did they hit 24 threes. <laughs>
3: It was something incredible. Yeah, 24
1: yeah. out of 45. I mean, I, I'm looking at it and I don't believe it because it's, it's, it's so long ago now. But, yeah, they shot 53.3% from the from three, but, like, they made 24 of them. So, you know, I don't think that's going to happen again. I, I would be willing to guarantee you they're not going to do that well either way. But uh, they might get somewhere where they do really well and then it keeps them close. But um, it definitely feels like, yes, the, the, the way they – the only way they're really going to compete is by is by them scoring better than than normal to mitigate all those different things. Now, what about the bench? Are we concerned at all about the Warriors bench, and what they've been getting out of them? Or is that going to be enough?
3: Well, the bench has been thinned. Uh, Andre godalla it's starting to look grim. Uh, he's got his his knee has not been healing. And so I don't think people exactly know why. So it may be that he misses the finals. Uh Patrick McCaw would have been uh, another wing that could sort of defend and switch, but he's just coming off this really frightening injury, which kind of uh, people thought might have ended up in paralysis at the time. So everyone's just really relieved to see him walking around. Um, and then you've got uh, an army of bigs, and then you also have Quinn Cook, who's probably too small to guard um, anyone that he gets switched onto. So it's a bit of a tricky bench. The problem is that they, the Warriors have sort of uh, prepared for all kinds of bigs because they couldn't get any really strong quality bigs. They have JaVale McGee, sort of the, the jumpy uh, the the jumpy dunker, and then Zaza Pachulia, the the massive guy you play against people like Tristan Thompson, who you just want to have a wall between him and the rim. And uh, Damian Jones is too young. And then you've got the young guys, uh, Jordan Bell and Kevon Looney, who – played pretty well against the Rockets, considering they're basically rookies who did not get much run uh, before this year and kind of got thrown into this incredibly difficult series. Uh, They really surprised by how well they stayed uh, relatively poised, even though they had their uh, brain meltdowns. Um, But they they hung in there when they were isolated on. They played pick and roll pretty well. They did help defense pretty well. So um, it's not clear exactly what, so the Cleveland team is confusing to me because the, the LeBron rage quit twice on his team. <laughs> and so I, it's, it's, I don't exactly know what to get from this, so I should listen to what Mike Zavongo thinks. Uh, it, it kind of reminds me of uh, the 2015 Cavs with a focal point of LeBron as the attack, but add on to that that lots of uh, flair-type stuff for Kyle Korver, and also LeBron's jump shot just seems to have evolved in some miraculous way. So it's it's, but I'm, but I guess my mental template is sort of 2015 plus more shooting, uh, and I'm not quite sure what role the bench is going to have to play in countering whatever moves the Cavs do.
1: Fair enough. Well, let's talk really briefly about the, or not so briefly about the, the starters because it's another interesting question. Zaza has been a uh, fixture on the bench. Uh, that this whole past series, so is it I, is it safe to say they're going to go back to their traditional starting lineup against? <laughs> excuse me, Thompson. And I guess we also we don't know about Love, but what do you think? Are they going to, he's going to get back on the court there and play
3: some minutes. My guess is that Zaza gets if he gets run, and I think he will because that's just sort of Steve Kerr's thing. He just his whole career as a role player, he's he's believed in giving them chances to shine. Uh, and so I wouldn't be surprised if he matches minutes with Tristan Thompson whenever he's there. Zaza's out there just being a slab of meat against him. Um, but they took Zaza out of the lineup because the, during the regular season, he had been starting, but the Warriors had just always started the games in funks. Yep. And you know, if Zaza dropped the ball or something, he's not doesn't have the best hands, it would depress them. And so Steve Kerr just wanted to change it up. And he threw JaVale McGee in there, but I don't think JaVale is a good counter to Tristan because he's just not disciplined enough on the, in boxing out. Uh, if Kevin Love plays, I'm not exactly sure who... I think they'll try lots of different people. I've always got the sense that the Warriors are not afraid of Kevin Love posting up, so I wouldn't be surprised if they put someone small like Bell or Looney on him. But if he starts roasting them, then they might go to, to someone bigger.
1: Fair enough. Well, you got 20 seconds. What is
3: your prediction for the series? Uh, well, I think the Warriors will win. Uh, I think the wild card, as you can see, that there's a little bit of mental confusion or burnout somewhere in there. They, didn't, they never put together a full good game against the Rockets, so even in the closeout games, so uh, anywhere between a sweep and Warriors and six.
1: Yeah, I hear you. I think that, I think you know six games might even be reasonable. So I'm, that's what I'm kind of thinking about just because LeBron is LeBron, and I'm sure he'll average closer to triple double. So we'll see. But either way, Eric Apricot, thank you so much for joining us. As always, you can find him writing stuff on beballbreakdown.com and Golden State of Mind. And don't go anywhere, sports fans. We'll be right back after these
0: brief. Messages. It's the B-ball breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio, coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts Studios. Here's Coach Nick.
1: Hey, sports fans! It is Coach Nick here. How's it going? Are we all looking forward to the finals? I know I am. I know it's even though it's a uh, you know part four. There's always some intrigue, things that are going on that we don't even can anticipate and don't know. And who knows what's going to happen in this series? I mean, I think most of us seem to have a sense, and you're reasonable if you assume that the Warriors will win. But either way, we have to play it out and see what happens. Roll that ball out there and find out what kind of tricks that LeBron might have up his sleeve. Although I guess the players don't wear sleeves, so they, it'll be pretty obvious. Nonetheless, let's bring in friend of the breakdown, best friend of the breakdown, Dave Dufour to discuss an overview of what we think might happen and fill in any holes we might not have discussed earlier in the uh, in the show. so Dave, are you there?
4: Yes sir. I'm ready I'm ready for the finals to start.
1: Yes, uh, I am too although we have a couple of days off I got all day tomorrow to do some uh, previews and, and actually we do need to talk maybe about what happened in game seven. would you like to talk about that for a few minutes? Sure. Yeah, we can talk about that. Sure. I mean, I'm listen, I'm a host. I will, I will, you know, I don't want to force you to do something you don't want to do.
4: Well, I, I just think, you know, there's not a whole lot we can glean from that Game 7. Um, you know, the Rockets playing shorthanded without Chris Paul. They got a lead. The Warriors looked very lackadaisical. And then the Warriors had a third quarter, which they always seem to have. And that's it. I mean, like, this is kind of the story of this team. They don't take the first half of these games seriously. Then they come out of halftime. I don't know what Steve Kerr says during his halftime <laughs> speeches, but it must be incredible. And these guys get their act together, and they play the way that we know they can. And it's a foregone conclusion at this point that this is sort of how the story goes with the with the Warriors. I mean, would you be at all shocked if, if Cleveland gets a 15-point lead in the first half of Game 1? I wouldn't. And then still, they could lose by 30. And that's just how... That's how this Warriors team is. I kind of just wish that they would take it seriously for the next four games and win every game by 50 just to show that they
1: could do it. Okay, interesting. Well, um, you know, it's, it, they asked Steph Curry what Steve Kerr said in the locker room, you know, at halftime or what occurred. And he was like very much very shruggy and was just like, well, it was pretty calm and we just sort of knew what we had to do and this and that. It wasn't any kind of fire and brimstone speech. And I, it was interesting because you almost kind of want to feel like if they had just if there was some lineup adjustment that spurs them, you could say, oh, start that lineup in the first quarter and you'll probably get those same results. But it's not that way, right? Because it's always the same starting five in the first and the third quarters. And and, the same for the the other team. But uh, it is really hard to fathom. I mean, is there any other out-of-the-box idea we can come up with that sort of, I mean, I I guess, is it really simply just that they're just screwing around until all of a sudden they have a a deficit that's going to make them play harder?
4: Feels like it. I mean, you know, there's no other way to say it, and it feels like lazy analysis to say that, but I think it's just the truth. I think they just don't care, Um and, and, you know, then they know that they can lock in and come back, and then sometimes that bites them in the, you know, in the rear end, right, and they don't come back, you know, this is sort of how they lost these two close games uh, that they lost in the series, you know, they just couldn't find it, and that's going to happen from time to time, but... The truth is they've shown that they can flip the switch when they need to, and it's got them to their fourth straight final.
1: It has. And let's talk about the starting lineups with the, with the, uh, the Cavs and the Warriors because do we have any information about Kevin Love and whether he's going to play or not?
4: Um, no. So he's in the concussion protocol. My, my assumption is
1: that he would be ready for game one, but
4: I haven't heard anything. Um, you know, um, I, I didn't hear that he was having a, a really hard time with this concussion. But, you know, remember, it was a quick turnaround from Game 6 to Game 7 in that series. It was only two days, so the concussion protocol, you know, it seems like guys usually miss a a, a game or two during the regular season. So, I don't know. I mean, I'm hoping he's back. You know, we want to see this team as as close to full strength as possible. And and then for the Warriors, uh, with Andre Iguodala, it seems like he's really having trouble with that that bone bruise. And and I actually, I'm not sure if he's going to be able to play in Game 1.
1: Right. That's what it sounds like on both counts. Let's just pretend at some point in the series, game two, whatever it is. I'm not even worried necessarily about the Warriors starting lineup, but let's or I am, but in the sense that Tristan Thompson's I think going to start alongside. Let's just pretend it's Kevin Love and LeBron James and George Hill and I guess Jarr Smith. Uh, I think that means that Zaza is going to come back into the fold, isn't that? Um I guess
4: there's a chance. I mean we, we also could Possibly see JaVale McGee. We could see David West. You know, there's there's like 17 centers on the Warriors roster.
3: <laughs>
1: yeah. Okay. Yeah, because that's
4: going to be the but issue, I, I right? Think, yeah. Yeah, I think I think Steve Kerr seems to be pretty comfortable with Looney. Um, I'm not sure how comfortable he'd be with Jordan Bell in that matchup, but Looney's you know he's a big guy. I think he could he could do okay. Um, but you know, this is Steve Kerr, and he is prone to, you know. Kind of defy convention a bit with his with his lineup choices, so um, yeah, I'm kind of curious to see who who starts game one myself.
1: Yeah, it's a really interesting thing because, I mean, Thompson's not even the same Thompson he was in 2016 anyway. Uh, that is That was such, such a plague to the Warriors on the offensive boards and, uh, you know, defensively. So uh, I'm not even sure how much of a concern he is. But, um, you know, certainly the other issue is going to be um, can LeBron make his teammates better? Uh, Or is he going to do the ISO stuff that makes everyone stand around and watch and then get, you know, random shots here or there that's hard to make a rhythm? What do you think is going to happen uh, as far as the LeBron attack?
4: Well, my guess would be after watching that Houston series that that we're going to see a lot of isolation. Houston had a lot of success uh, scoring that way, you know, but I, I just don't know that Cleveland has the firepower around LeBron to capitalize, and in particular if Kevin Love is out. The other thing they don't have is the defense. You know, um, people. I know that they they defended well against Boston, but Boston is not really a good offensive team. Uh, the Warriors are a whole different animal. So, you know, we'll. we'll it, it's going to be interesting to see what happens in Game One. I'm even more interested in how both teams sort of adjust from Game One to Game Two. Game One is still going to be, I think, a little bit of feeling out, even though these teams know each other well, um, but. You know, that game one to game two transition is going to be even more fascinating to me.
1: Okay, fair enough. I mean, I think we're going to see part of me almost felt like it's going to feel like they were uh, the Warriors running in mud in the conference finals, and all of a sudden they get on a track uh, in the uh, in the finals. But I also do feel like the Cleveland Cavaliers could probably replicate some of that physical nature that, they were, that the Rockets were playing that did stymie the offense a bit and force them into the, uh, a lot more isos than they would be comfortable with. So we'll have to kind of see if Cleveland can bring that to the table, although, and then again, now the refs become an issue. We don't know what they're going to call or how they're going to call it so uh that is curious now let's just let's just defend steph curry for a minute here because i I think i'm going to do a video on this at some point as soon as i can you know i don't know if any guard could could stop james harden when he has 15 feet to either side of him of clear space and you're all alone having to guard him and yet you know, and we we haven't really seen that, right? We don't see even the best guards get isolated by it like that, um, you know, in the regular season, you know, ten times a game, like we have with Curry, maybe more than ten times. So I, I don't, th- I just don't think it's fair that, like, that he's getting his reputation of being a terrible defender as getting destroyed every time.
4: Well, his defense in Game Seven was amazing. I mean, he was by far the best defender on the court in Game Seven, oh. uh, hands down. I mean, he was not not only defending his position. You know, even against the switch and pushing Harden into help, which is his job, but he was also defensive playmaking, get his hands on a lot of balls. I think mean, he had five or six steals. Um, just had an incredible defensive game. And you know, like you just said, there there might be five guys, period, in the league that could stay in front of James Harden or or whoever. You know, uh, isolated that way with that much space to operate. You know, I think people forget that the defender is always at a disadvantage. Your your job as a defender is to react to the offensive player, and then the way that Golden State plays, it often looks like you are getting beat when actually you're doing your job by pushing the man to help because that's their whole goal on defense. It's mm-hmm. all about help and recover, and then you know you you, you work a little bit less that way. Um, so yeah, I think that again, and you and I have discussed this in the past, it is, I think that most people don't understand what they're watching and right. they just say, well, I saw, I saw Steph Curry guarding James Harden, you know, 20 times and James Harden sc- wound up scoring 35 points. So therefore Steph Curry is not a good defender against yeah. James Harden when really there's so much more nuance.
1: Well, I charted it in game, I don't know, 5 or 6 whatever it was and you know, basically of their 30 uh, offensive possessions that they were that that Steph Curry was guarding them in the half court, I think he got scored on on like 5 of them, giving up a total of 12 points. And, you know, that ultimately ended up being, like, about 19% of the points, which is, you know, if you're looking at, like, five guys on the court at some time, you know, that's 20 that's sort of your share of what you might be giving up. And it's certainly nothing, it just didn't strike me as being, oh, my God, he's getting roasted. Now, were there possessions, even maybe in the game seven, where he got beat badly? Like, yeah, but I think, again, even Roberson or all those other really great defenders, they get beat, too so i don 't know it's just really frustrating when that happens like that, and you feel like he's just you know he's getting singled out for just by sheer volume of what they're doing and sheer just space when it's just you know and and i and all I can do is hope that it doesn't kind of take hold because. Its just ultimately didn't work, right, and then it just sort of right. leads to a different kind of basketball that you know imagine this in the future taking hold where every team does this, and they identify the one guy every single time down, and they spread the floor and ISO on that one guy. I mean, can you imagine the basketball game like that?
2: yeah, I mean you know we
4: kind of we kind of saw that in this series, yeah you know, um, people have brought up the fact that the Rockets really targeted Steph Curry as a sign that he's not a good defender. The truth is, he's the smallest defender. Right. That's what they were looking for. They wanted the smallest guy, and they wanted to try to wear him out, since how important he is to the offense. Um, you know, the, the Warriors did the exact same thing to the Rockets. They went after Chris Paul, which no one says Chris Paul is a bad defender, but they went after him as much as they could. With everyone, uh, you know, they try to get Katie in the post up, or they went after James Harden again. There's a there's a strategy here that is beyond just well, I think he's a bad defender. No, often it's well, I need I want to make him work so that he's more exhausted when he's playing offense, but also he's the smallest guy, which means I can use our length advantage or whatever we have. To, to create a mismatch, and that's what it's all about. But people, you know, they get caught up in this narrative. I mean, this is why bigs are constantly, you know, you're constantly trying to get the the big switched out onto a guard, like Capella. Mm-hmm. When Curry got Capella, that's when he would start dancing. And so, you know, it's, it's easy to get caught up in narratives. And, and, you know, for whatever reason, people don't want to accept the fact that, that Steph Curry is, is a good defender, but... You know, that's not my problem. That's theirs.
1: Right. Well, you got 20 seconds to give us your breakdown. What do you think the prediction, uh, how many games, who's going to win?
4: I'll say Warriors in five, but it probably should be four. They're just, you know, this is the best team we've ever seen assembled, and, and they really should sweep.
1: Fair enough. I mean, certainly the Cavs are not as good as they were last year as a team, and they uh, lost in five. So I'd anticipate maybe the same thing happening again uh, this year, five or six, maybe if if, uh, LeBron goes absolutely insane. So we'll have to wait and see. I'm fired up. I know you're fired up. We'll be together on the podcast to talk more about it after these games. So thanks, Abe. We'll talk to you in a little bit. Sounds good. And don't go anywhere, sports fans. We've got one more segment coming up to wrap up this show with you. And uh, as always, I'm Coach Nick. We're here every Tuesday night. Don't go anywhere. No flipping. And we'll
0: see you right after these messages from our sponsor. It's the B-Ball Breakdown with Coach Nick on SB Nation Radio. Coming to you live from the O'Reilly Auto Parts studios. Here's Coach Nick. Well, sports fans, another great show is in the
1: books or on the digital side, whatever you want to call it, but uh, certainly a great show. We had Mike Zabando on from Fear the Sword and the Cavalytics podcast to discuss what the Cavs need to do, but it sounds like a pretty big mountain to climb. And then we also had Eric Apricot, who writes for some weird place called BeBallBreakdown.com and also Golden State of Mind is a great mind for basketball and follows the Warriors and uh, gave us some really int- interesting insights. And then my, my man on the scene, Dave Dufour and I went deep into what uh, we think what's going to happen in the series. Uh, certainly everyone thinks it's going to be five. I don't know. I kind of feel like it's six. You never know, uh, how these things will play out. But, uh, you know, foul trouble and, and getting, going cold and whatnot. But it certainly seems like the Warriors have too much to offer the Cavaliers and they also have home court advantage. So, uh, we shall see. But I'm sure there will be some intriguing storylines along the way. Do not miss. I did a great video today about the 27 straight missed threes that the Rockets took. And that's a problem with the philosophy of what they're doing, which is, Take threes for the sake of taking threes, and I feel like that 's going to be the issue uh, as we move forward i 'm worried about the future of the game in some to some respect because of that because you know if you imagine if you start seeing more and more teams just really just taking a lot of bad shots because they are mandated to take threes um, if I could create an offense that generates 50 good threes, then great, I'll take 50 good threes, but that's not the case. And I don't know if it's possible against NBA defenses to generate enough of those good shots where they're coming from a post pass or they're coming from drive and kick or they're coming from forced rotations and you're swinging the ball around for three passes for an open corner three. I don't think you can generate 50 of those anyway in a 48 minute game. So that is the big issue we're going to see as we move forward. Also, the defensively or offensively, the attack of just forcing the the weakest defender onto your best offensive player. and then and going at him isolation wise, that's another worry for me because it might be effective and it works, you know, for the for the Rockets all the way to the game seven. But eventually, it wears you out. and You can't. You're not going to be able to make it the finals. I don't think. Or maybe you don't win the finals that way. We've seen LeBron try it as well and not win. So maybe eventually it'll take hold that the sharing the ball, a lot of passing, a lot of cutting, a lot of movement is where we should be going toward. And hopefully the Rockets or sorry, the Warriors will continue to give us that template and inspire all of us to play that way. Because as a coach, that's where I like to see uh, lots of great stuff coming up. We're going to do a video on some of the missed calls or blown calls the refs did in Game 7 just to kind of go over and I don't want to say appease the Rockets fans, but give them a bone to chew on. But either way, we'll be right back here again on Tuesday, next Tuesday at 5 p.m. Pacific or 8 p.m. Eastern to talk about what going to happen in the finals. There's going to be a few games in their belt by the time we get there. So don't go anywhere, or you can go somewhere now, but then make sure you come right back again on Tuesday. I'm Coach Nick. This is the B-Ball Breakdown. Thanks for joining us. I'm in.